Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Today we're kicking off a new series on the book of Judges, and that slide will pop up shortly. And um, you may or may not have been aware that we've been engaged in a um, something that we've called the Lent Bible Binge. And uh, if you've been subscribed to our church podcast, you would have seen the episodes that have been coming out. And that's genuinely just wanting to encourage us as a people to be in God's word, in his scriptures, as we lead up into Easter. And uh, if you are on that, at the moment we've been going through the book of Judges, and hopefully that's going to help us as we look at the, the as, as we prepare sermons throughout the, uh, the six-week series. Um, this morning I have two goals. Firstly, I hope to give some context to the the Israelites and how we get to the book of Judges. But more importantly, I hope to highlight three warnings, three warnings or lessons that we get from these first few chapters in the book of Judges. And uh, my hope is that it does confront, that it does challenge, but that it strengthens us as God's people in 2023. So that's where we're headed. Are you with me, church? Yeah. Awesome. So very, very quickly, a broad context, starting from the book of Genesis, getting us to Judges. And uh, I know, forgive me, I'm going to skip a lot of detail, but we are, it's not the point of this morning, but hopefully it'll be helpful to lay a foundation. So in the book of Genesis, Abraham is called by God. He's called to, with his family, leave the land that he's in and go to the land of Canaan, a land that God has promised him. He says, go to this land, the land of Canaan, the promised land, take your family and I will make you a great nation and you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to the nations. So Abraham, he, he again, miraculously he had a son, Isaac, Isaac had a son, Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. One of those 12 sons was a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. The other brothers hated Joseph and sold him into slavery, and they, uh, he ended up or landed up in Egypt. Now, in Egypt, he started off from the bottom, but the favor of God was upon him, and he worked his way up by the grace of God to, to, to be the governor of Egypt, to be second in control after Pharaoh. There was this widespread famine throughout the land and it required all the people of that region to go to Egypt to buy food. Jacob's 11 or 10 sons, because they, he kept the 12th Benjamin with him, the, the 10 sons of Jacob went to Egypt to go and buy food. Lo and behold, their brother Joseph was the governor in charge of giving out the food. And long story, very, very short, there's this beautiful restoration between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph then invites Jacob, his father, and his brothers and their families and households to come and live in Egypt. And it's, the scriptures tell us that they thrive. They thrive and they grow and they become big and strong. Now Jacob, his name changed to Israel. And that's where we get the nation of Israel. So because they thrive, Joseph eventually passes away. The Pharaoh at that time passes away. The new Pharaoh comes and they have forgotten. He did not know Joseph. He did not know the legacy and the leadership that Joseph had in Egypt. And he's now threatened by the nation of 
Israel. They've grown, they've become strong, and so he makes them slaves. The Israelites become slaves in Egypt, and now we get to the book of Exodus. God creates, or let me put it like this, Moses is born, and God is to use Moses to now rescue his people from Egyptian slavery. God raises them up, plagues, you name it, it happens, and uh, Pharaoh eventually releases the Israelites, and now Moses is leading the nation of Israel out of captivity in Egypt and towards their promised land. Again, I'm sorry to skip so many details. Long story short, Moses is forsaken to enter the promised land. And so he eventually dies as they wander in the wilderness. And his assistant, Joshua, becomes the new leader of Israel. And it's Joshua who leads the nation of Israel over the Jordan River. They destroy Jericho by walking around it heaps of times and blowing trumpets. And then they enter into the promised land. And this is where we pick up Judges. The nation of Israel has entered into their promised land. But the fact of the matter is, although they have conquered the land and taken the territories allotted to the 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes come from the sons and grandsons of Jacob or Israel, they've got this land now, but there are still plenty Canaanites living throughout the land. So the promised land was the land of Canaan. They're in it. They've been allocated their inherited territories, but there are still Canaanites in the land. And this brings us to the book of Judges and to the message this morning. The title is Warnings from Judges, if you're taking notes, and I encourage you to do so. Point number one, cultural compromise. This is the first warning and lesson for us as God's people. Cultural compromise. God had a plan and an intention for the nation of Israel to be a holy nation, to be a kingdom of priests. And he speaks to them and he tells them this in Exodus chapter 19. Verse 5 and 6. He speaks to, to Moses and then to the people and he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God wanted his family, his people, to be a holy nation. And that Hebrew word is Kadesh. And it means sacred. It means set apart. It means to be different from the others. And that's his intention for his family, the nation of Israel. And that is why God instructed the 12 tribes of Israel to drive out the Canaanites from the land. He wanted a holy set apart nation and he instructed the Israelites to drive out the Canaanites from the land of Canaan, from the promised land. And this is where we pick up in the book of Judges. Um, if you have your Bibles open to it, and we'll work our way through chapter 1, 2, and 3. So Judges chapter 1, from verse 20 onwards. I'll pick it up from verse 20, and it says, And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. We'll go straight to verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Giza. 
So the Canaanites lived in Giza among them. The whole point to driving out the Canaanites was to avoid their moral corruption and idolatry. To avoid their way of worshipping idols, uh, such as, and, and their way of pagan worship, like child sacrifice and other pagan practices. God wanted to drive them out so that they would not compromise on the culture around them. And throughout chapter 1, we see this consistent tale of partial victories. The different tribes go and, and, and fight the, the Canaanites or the different nations in, in the region of Canaan. And they, they win to a point that they can claim their land, but they fail to drive out the Canaanites completely. And so, they allow the Canaanites to settle alongside them. The Canaanites become neighbors with the Israelites. And Israel partially obeyed God. And here's just a side note. Incomplete obedience is still disobedience. Partial obedience is still disobedience. And so God confronts the Israelites on their disobedience. If you want to move to chapter 2, we'll read the first two verses. So the angel of the Lord confronts them and says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? And the thing I want to highlight this morning is that over time, as the Israelites settled alongside the Canaanites, they became accustomed to the Canaanites' sinful ways. But it didn't stop it being accustomed. It moved from being accustomed to their neighbor's sinful ways to becoming attracted to the sinful ways of their neighbors. And you guessed that it didn't stop at being accustomed and attracted to. It then moved to adopting the sinful ways of their Canaanite neighbors. And you guessed it again. It doesn't stop at adopting the pagan practices of their neighbors. It then eventually leads to the Israelites abandoning God. Do you see the progression of cultural compromise? We're alongside, we become accustomed to, familiar with, we then become attracted to, we become enticed by these things, and then we adopt them, we embrace them for ourselves. And then that leads to abandoning God. This is the warning, this is the lesson from this part of Judges. Cultural compromise. We'll pick it up. If you're still with me in your Bibles, jump to verse 11 of chapter 2. It says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. The Baals, there are multiple of them. Lowercase g, just to clarify, gods of fertility. Those were the Baals. Verse 12, and they abandoned the Lord, 
the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth, goddesses of fertility. God called the Israelite nation to be a blessing to the nations. That's what he told Abraham. I'll make of you a great nation. You'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing. How would God make them a blessing? God wanted them to be holy set apart so that they could show the other nations around them just what God was like. But the Israelites failed miserably. And I'll go through that progression again. Israel failed to drive out the Canaanites and so they settled alongside them. They then became accustomed to, they became familiar with, they then became attracted to and became enticed They then adopted and embraced these sinful pagan ways and it led to them abandoning their God to serve these Baals and Ashtaroth. Cultural compromise. And as God's people today, we are not necessarily surrounded by statues and wooden carvings that can be bowed down to and worshipped. But can I say, there are modern day idols, there are cultural idols that are influencing the church, that have influenced the church and that continue to influence the church. And I'm talking capital C at large and probably small C as a local church. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, answers what an idol is by saying this. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. I'll say it again. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. And scripture's clear throughout, but he has two, past, two quick verses. 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. As God's people, and this is the focus that I want to share when it comes to this whole cultural compromise, like why Liam? I mean, there's so many reasons. We want to be faithful to God, look at what he has done for us, da 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 But the, the emphasis I want to put on this morning is the emphasis of mission. God has called us as his people to be on a mission. Like the Israelites were called to be a holy set-apart people, to be a blessing to those around them, God has called us as his people, the church today, to be a blessing. To be a blessing to the nations. And so much more. Here's what scripture, according to scripture, some of the verses, or we'd be here all day. Here is some of our mission according to scripture. Matthew chapter, and it's not on the screen, sorry. So don't try and remember it, just let it sink in. Matthew 22 from verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 39. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's part of our mission. Love your neighbor. Don't love what your neighbor loves. Love your neighbor. And I'm talking to myself. 
Matthew 28, well known from verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Our job is to teach them what Christ has commanded. Not let them teach us what to do. It's a challenge. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. And then it tells us what you should do with salt if it's lost its saltiness. But you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's who we are as the church. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. And lastly, 1 Peter 2 verse 9. And Peter draws on Exodus. And he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you from darkness or out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the mission for you and I. This is the mission for the church at large. And my point is this. Idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction. And yes, I googled a synonym for failed and to see if there was another M, and there was. So failed. Idolatry will cause the mission to fail, to malfunction. And this is why we must flee from idolatry. This is why we must keep ourselves from idols. God wants us in this world, but not of this world. And I want to highlight that, and and hopefully we know that, because, or else we should go build a a Christian city and only allow Christians who can tick the boxes and will da-da-da-da-da, and then what impact will we have? God wants us in this world, but not of this world. Christ said it himself that he came to seek and save the lost, and we are in Christ, and we are his people, and we obey him. And the mission is the same for us. We are here to seek and save the lost. We are here to establish and advance the kingdom of God on earth. And idolatry will cause the mission to malfunction. And we become useless. And I say that with as much grace as possible. And the challenge is, church, it is so easy to become accustomed. As we live alongside those on this earth, as we're in this world, it is so easy to become accustomed and familiar with the ways of the world. It is so easy to become attracted and enticed by the things of this world. It's all around us. The culture is all around us. And so easily, and it is so easily for us to compromise to the culture. And we eventually begin adopting the ways of this world And sadly, no doubt, we can think of people, we've heard of people who eventually abandon God completely. This is the progression of cultural compromise. And it's the warning for us as a church this morning. I truly believe it is a warning from God for us as individual members of this house, of this body. It happened to the Israelites, and like I said, it's happening in the church at large, and it's a warning for us today. Very quickly, while I'm point number one's the long one, number two and three are short. We might not get to three. Research was conducted 
with 1,000 Protestant pastors in the month of September in 2021 in the U.S. And I know we're in different nations, but nations love to copy the U.S. culture-wise. Here were the results. They were asked this question. What modern-day idols are influencing the church? And they took the findings from these 1,000 pastors, and this was in order of majority response to least. Comfort. Modern-day idol of comfort. Control. Money. Approval. Success. Social influence. Political power. And sex. They had eight. And I think I've said there, with a little star, I'd add a ninth, and I'd say family. And you've got to be careful when you say family, because family is God's idea. But for some of these, maybe not all, but for some of these, these are good things. They're not necessarily bad things. But if they are not submitted to God, and to His word, and to His ways, and if they are not beneath God then they're very dangerous. Then they're sinful. And can I be bold enough? And I know I'm being bold, but I want to preach like it's the last time I ever preach. If you struggle or can't identify that any of these are modern day idols, You've probably already been infiltrated. The culture has already compromised you. But the good news is that as children of God, we recognize it, we confess it, We repent of it, and we can release it right now. We don't need a call for an altar call at the end. Right now, where you sit, Lord, Holy Spirit may be convicting particular things. And we can say, Lord, I see it, I confess it, I repent. I turn my back on that, I turn back towards you, and Lord, help me release it now. And we can walk in freedom by the power of His Spirit, not in our own strength. And that's my encouragement right now as you sit there. Even if you forget, if you don't hear the next thing I say, if you're doing business with God, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I confess, I did some business with God during the last few days of prepping this. So I've had a head start. But no, this is not, it's a mirror. Before it's a lens. Point number two, and we won't touch number three. Point number two, generational mandate. That's the second lesson and warning that I see in the book of Judges. What do I mean by that? Well, a mandate is an official order or commission to do something. And I believe that God gives his people a generational mandate. He has commissioned his people to teach the next generation about him. And here's, here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
from verse 6. Just make a note of it. It says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. In verse 10, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, verse 12, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The connections are beautiful. Now in Judges, we see how the Israelites did with this generational mandate. If you're still with me in chapter 2, jump to verse 6 or backtrack to verse 6. When Joshua, sorry, I know I'm, I feel like I'm going quick, but I know there's baptisms and it's 20 past. Verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Pick it up in verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And this is the sad news. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, all the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. There arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done. A second warning and lesson. There is a generational mandate for God's people. Psalm 78, because I'd rather read scripture than share my thoughts. From verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It's for the people of Israel back then. And it's for God's people, the church, today. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, we have a job to do. It's for parents, but Paul specifically writes to the fathers. So men, dads, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And for parents, we cannot abdicate our responsibility to raise up our children and disciple them. It is our, we are the pri- it is our primary responsibility as parents, to raise our children and to disciple them that they would know him personally, that they would know who he is and what he has done, that they would know the power that he has, that they would know that the the sacrifice that Christ has made for us so that they too would set their hope in him. But can I also say, it's not just for parents, primarily for parents, but not exclusively. This is a whole church thing. It takes a village to raise a child. 
And children need more than just mom and dad. From what I hear, research shows it. They need at least five significant voices. And this is the role that we can play as the local church. Because the reality is this. If we do not disciple our kids, the culture around us will. The Israelites failed to disciple the next generation, so by default, the Canaanites did. And if we don't disciple our young people, the culture around us will. John Wesley said this, What one generation tolerates, the next generation embraces. This has been on my heart, church, the last few days. I couldn't wait for this morning. What modern day cultural idols are we tolerating as a generation or as multiple generations in this room? What cultural idols are we tolerating that the next generation will embrace? Because church, we are in a battle. We're in a battle. And if we don't fight, if we surrender, the next generation will suffer. It's just the facts. And I'm not going to go through examples, but no doubt as you sit there, you will be able to think of examples of what one generation tolerated and now society embraces it. Pornography, divorce. Will you take this generational mandate seriously? Lord, help me take it seriously. Help me be intentional. And I'm just going to give you point number three, gospel amnesia. That's the third warning. I'll just read the scripture. Judges chapter three, verse seven. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Israel failed to remember that it was the one true living God who redeemed them with the blood of the lamb at Passover. It was not the Baals. It was not the Ashtaroth. But they had forgotten. Gospel amnesia, salvation amnesia. And church, you and I are faced with the same challenges and struggles. We can so easily live and forget who God is, what he has done for us, that he is the one who has brought salvation, not the idols around us. We so easily bow down to these cultural idols Spiritually speaking, when it is him who purchased us with his blood, let us not live with gospel amnesia. How can we fight it? While I've got you, I'm going to say it. I need to gather with the saints. We need this. We can week out as we come and offer ourselves up to God and worship Him. He forms us and He shapes us and He realigns our hearts. We need community. I need people to keep me accountable. When I drift, I need people to bring me back in. And so do you. We need to be regularly partaking in the Lord's Supper in communion because it reminds us and it renews us. The songs we sang, I'm standing there and I'm like emotional and the Spirit of God's here. And and I'm like, these songs are reminding me of what I believe. 
These songs are forcing me to declare, and there is power in declaration because it's, it's reinforcing the truth. That's why it's important what we sing. I'm glad we sang, we, we sing good songs here. I'm not trying to say we don't. We need this church, and we need each other, and we need baptisms. God gave us two sacraments, communion and baptism. And we're going to go out there now and look at three beautiful baptisms of young people declaring publicly their faith in Christ and being baptized into his body. And it's reminding me of what Jesus has done. As they go under, symbolically go under the water, they come out as new creations. Oh, Lord, I'm a new creation. Thank you. It's so important, church. Could I invite you to stand to your feet? The greatest challenge to Christian faithfulness is forgetfulness. Father, help us. Over the next few weeks, and I was hoping to get to Othniel, the first judge, but over the next few weeks, five weeks, we'll be looking at different judges, leaders, warrior leaders, anointed by God to rescue his people. We'll look at different stories and we'll learn from their lives. And you'll see that there is this, this cycle. And we're not going to get to that. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we are yours. Lord, that you found us and you rescued us. And Lord, I ask this morning that as your people, by your spirit, Lord, you would realign our hearts, realign our minds, bring us back into your will and your ways. Lord, and if the culture has compromised us, Lord, I pray that we would recognize, confess, repent, release, do business with you and walk in freedom. Even right now, I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, that we would be a people who take this generational mandate seriously. Help us, Lord. Help me, Lord. And Lord, that we would not be a forgetful people when it comes to how you saved us. Lord, that we would live for you. Our lives do not belong to us anymore, Lord. And I ask that you would give us a fresh conviction of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.